We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is out today. And believe it or not, this is the last episode that we're going to record before we're talking after an actual Laker game, right? The Lakers play of all times at 12.30 p.m. Pacific on Sunday, right? An odd preseason start. Happy for some of the international folks who have to weather the more difficult times on those types of games, but it's a weird time to start the preseason against the Brooklyn Nets, a strange opponent for the preseason. Usually everybody stays on their coast or in their general region, but um, yeah, we're going to, next time we talk, D is going to be after an actual Lakers game. So today we're going to preview the preseason I can't believe we're, we're here, man. Uh, it's it's sort of weird, right? We've been talking so much hypotheticals and the ideas around this this team. And you have theories and I have theories. And we've had debates about who's going to play where and for how long. And we've all pissed of that, off Mike. Right? <laughs> well, well, it's it's just like to a certain extent. I think all of us are probably a little bit irritated with the ideas that we've had to present because we don't have any context to place it in besides just what we think is going to happen. And we're getting insight from the coaches or from Frank Vogel. We've got insight from Rob Palinka. We got insight from all of the players in terms of what their sort of expectations are with media day and everything else. Right. But the rubber's going to hit the road here. The team started practicing, and now these are only, and I'm doing air quotes here, preseason games, right? But these are important team-building moments and for establishing what the identity of this group is going, going to be. And I think Frank Vogel is big on identity and culture building and LeBron is big on that as well. He wouldn't round up the entire crew of guys and say, let's go to Vegas for a few days and work together if that wasn't important to him too. And so now we're going to see it and we're going to have actual game tape 
to look at and say, okay, well, how does this compare to what we thought? And it'll just be that initial line of thinking that's giving us information and data points, but it'll still be something. And it's so different than, say, a season like last year or even really any other year because we had so much turnover and such a, a massive singular acquisition in Westbrook where I feel like I know this team less than any Lakers team in quite a while, right? Even though I spend my life covering it, right? Because I'm watching Charlotte tape for Malik Monk and Detroit tape for Wayne Ellington and you know what I mean? Wizards tape for Russ and trying to piece it all together in my mind. But like you said, it's all theoretical and now is where the rubber hits the road. And Frank Vogel, after the first practice, had a quote about what, how he's going to approach this season, this preseason in particular. And it's a very different place than we were in last year, right? With the quick turnaround, just trying to get through it, everybody trying, trying to rest. Whereas now it's like, if we had theories, man, imagine Frank Vogel and the coaching staff yeah. and LeBron and AD and Russ and all these guys are basketball people that they're, they've been up late at night, just as we have thinking like, man, what's a... Russ and LeBron side ball screen going to look like, right? And just, and, and to, to a degree that goes well beyond what we do, right? These are the, they're the ones making the in the moment decisions. And so now the purpose of the preseason to me is to, uh, Vogel talked about implementation. So this was Vogel's quote on just how to start preseason. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're starting hard with practice. You know, we're, we're going to go after it. Um, you know, today, tonight will be a lot of system implementation, uh, no contact, but full speed. And um, in terms of the preseason games, it was just striking a balance. So that line about implementation, I want to talk about what that means, usually from a coaching standpoint. Implementation at the very beginning is shell work, shell offense and shell defense. And what that means is five on O on offense or different versions, right? You have your breakdown drills, which are either one on O, two on O, three on O and, and so forth, all the way up to the whole team. And then defensively, those are those can be breakdown drills as well, uh, but they're often five on five where you are reacting to where the ball is on the court. That's what a shell defense drill is, right? Like if the ball's in the right corner, you're standing in this spot. If it's on the left wing, you're on that spot. And then it goes, then it gets progressively more complex from there. So talk to me, man, about the implementation, the shell offense, shell defense. What is being accomplished in those moments in the, the very beginning of implementation? Well, I think it's a variety of things. And I think it goes back to this idea of, of team building and familiarity and chemistry, right? And we talked a lot about this within the context of last season for longtime listeners, but I'll refresh those if, if you're new to the LFR pod. Pete had made this analogy of, have we had enough time to bake the cake? It was that idea of togetherness and, the, and knowing what your teammate was going to do based off of not only just the situation in front of us, but the next situation and the next situation and the next one. And there is, there is a chemistry that is built out of reps and getting those reps in together. And that's practice reps and it's game reps. And last season's Lakers had way too little of both of those. The team never practiced, yeah. right? Yep. 
there were so many injuries, they did not get a lot of game reps. And so when you go, so going back to your question, Pete, about what are they accomplishing here? It's those initial lowest level bricks of the foundation that you're building about familiarity and, okay, if I'm here and, or if the ball's there and I'm here, my teammate is going to be here and here and here and here. And that means I can do this, or my goal now is to do this in order to get the ball to go in this direction so that this guy moves here. And it's, it's this, we can think about it almost like, paint by numbers, but there's a flow to it as well that needs to be accomplished because there's a timing and there's a togetherness that is super important when it comes to, especially defense. And Frank Vogel is a defensive coach. And I think almost everything he does is going to be based off of this idea of can we get stops and how do we get stops in order to f- then flow into what we want to do offensively? But everything is going to build off of defense. Yes. And that point you made about timing is where I wanted to go with that, right? Like the most basic shell drill, whether you're on offense or defense, is like, okay, it's very slow. Okay, the ball is here. And then if you're coaching youth league ball or, or high school ball, right? And these are usually lower lower level teams. You're saying, okay, you are over here. And it's this slow explanation to younger players. Well, these guys are not in that spot, right? So it's more, it's not them understanding where everyone is supposed to be, where the ball is, but it's more getting familiarity with each other's timing, right? Let's, let's go to the offensive end for a second. Anthony Davis rolls to the basket at a different pace and in a different way than say Daniel Gafford rolls to the basket, which is different than how Steven Adams rolled to the basket, right? I'm talking pick and roll partners with uh, Russell Westbrook and the pace of which we want to play, right? We want to play fast. I I really think we want to leverage Russ's speed. Timing within a sped up environment, that has to be, there's, there's reps that have to be like, you can't just do that out of the gate. And we will probably see a, a, a greater degree of turnovers at the, at the beginning of the season, I think, as a result of this. But establishing that timing between your guys, they know where they're supposed to be, but kind of like, how does this guy do that? And how does that guy do that? Especially when you throw such an accelerant into the mix, like Russell Westbrook, adds a whole different component of what that means to establish all of what you were talking about in, in your point. Both offensively and defensively, there is this idea of playing on a string. We often hear about that defensively. Yeah. And it is super important defensively, but offensively as well, there is a a sense of where to be based off of how a play is right now and where a play is going. And this go and this falls into the line of thinking that you've always said about like I don't think basketball players get enough credit for how smart they are and how quickly they have to read situations and and their reaction time to things. And it's one of the reasons why I think we were such big fans of Alex Caruso, for example, because he was a dude who understood the ball has moved or the ball is moving. I am now already floating or moving with purpose into a position on the floor where then I'm going to be better equipped 
to do the thing I have to do next, whether that's set a flare right. screen or whether it's cutting or whether it's doing anything, right? Or sliding into an, an open space. And if you go back and listen to some of Wayne Ellington's comments about sort of, you know, advocating for himself as a potential starting shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers, he highlighted his smarts and understanding of how to move off of the ball and put himself in position as a shooter for star teammates like LeBron and and AD and Russ. And it's that principal element of how do I get to the spots I'm supposed to be to on the floor in at the right time so that I am available to make the next play that needs to, to be made. And with a player like Russ, it is going to take some time for players to adjust because few players in the league are capable of moving and getting to spots on the floor and then making the types of reads and passes that Westbrook can make just based off of his very individualized and specific skill set that like very few players in the league possess. And he can make the game easier for you, but you have to help him help you as well. And there is a symmetry that needs to exist. And that's what these practice reps are for, I think. So yeah, as an off-ball player, talking about that idea of being in the right place at the right time. Basketball is so much of that, like just being in the correct spot when you need to be there solves a lot of problems. And you you don't see it in regular act. Like you have to slow the tape down and and really zoom in on it to really uh, appreciate it, right? But it happens on, on every play. But that idea of being in the right place in the right time on the offensive end, if you're, an, if you're off of the ball, it's dictated by who has the ball, right? So if there's dribble penetration principles, for example, if uh, one, of, one of the basic ones is say Russell Westbrook is right in the middle of the floor and he drives to his right, the player in the left corner and he starts driving to the basket, the player in that left corner is probably going to lift up to from the corner to the wing right there's a wheel motion that happens on the weak side behind where you feel that spot that Russ vacated and then everybody lifts up a position and so you have to be reading the ball handler if you're Wayne Ellington going like okay is Russ going to drive left is he going to rack baseline going to rack wing is he going to put the defender in jail as he comes off of this pick and roll like what's the pace that he's going to drive to the basket at in order to be in the right position, it is dependent upon what Westbrook does. That changes based on what Westbrook does. And that's true of whomever has the ball. And so these early preseason games, Bogle mentioned that they were hoping that the main core plays like, you know, plays two games together. That to me is the the best value of these preseason games is getting used to the pace of yeah. Westbrook and just each other. It's funny how quickly a Russell Westbrook team or a team that Russell Westbrook is on becomes a Russell Westbrook team, right? And it's because he is such a strong presence in terms of style of play, the way that he he can influence things as well as the position that he plays as a lead ball handler. But it's very much true. He sort of forces people to adjust to him and and that adjustment takes time. To learn and to get used to. And so I am super interested in a variety of ways that teammates work off of 
Westbrook. I'm I'm interested in what the shooters do. I'm interested in how him and LeBron connect, and I'm interested in how him and AD connect. I I'm I'm wondering. Vogel also talked talked about this idea of of finding ways for these three guys to sort of interact together, right? Like like and. I'm wondering, do you see a lot of three-man action? Like, because I think that this is, it's, the best teams are going to find ways to complement each other within their three-player hierarchy, right? And we've talked a lot, um, Mike has, and I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth since he's not here to to sort of speak speak to it, but I think you've mentioned this as, as well. Like, the idea of... Kawhi and Paul George, there's like a duplicative effect there. And the yeah. same argument could be made for maybe like a Jason Tatum and a J- Jalen Brown or to a different extent, but similarly, a CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, right? And one of the reasons why I thought LeBron and AD worked so well together was because not only the versatility of their games, but the fact that like LeBron really is at his heart a perimeter-based guy. And he's so effective because he's so huge at that as well. But he is a perimeter guy and AD at his heart is an inside player. And then what's great about them is that they can flip-flop roles and AD can play on the outside yeah. when LeBron can play on the inside, but throwing in another variable like Russ can complicate things, but can also make things more interesting as a connective player between those, those two. So I'm wondering, is there something you're looking forward to from those three guys in, in actions and what you might be looking at for the preseason and then beyond. Let's take a quick break. That's a great question that can go in a number of directions. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So to answer the question about the synergy between Russ, AD, and LeBron, and first of all, I'm looking forward to greatly overreacting to those two games of preseason basketball, right? Because like you said, it's been theoretical for so long. And like, I wonder what it looks like. These are the first visual bits of evidence. It's not going to be theoretical at some point during this preseason. We're going to see little bits and pieces of it. But to answer that, I want to rewind real quick to something you said in the first segment about the idea of teams assume Russell Westbrook's identity very early on. And I think that's true to an extent with the Lakers. And I want to put, I want to focus on that a little more, just to give it a little more, uh, a little more nuance is Russell Westbrook takes over a lot of possessions by virtue of the pace that he plays at. And one of the things that Frank Vogel mentioned in the implementation uh, of, of what they're trying to do is new early offense stuff that they weren't doing last year because that idea we've talked a lot Lakers are going to run they're going to fast break they're going to you know be you know uh, possibly a historic transition team well that still is going to only account for 22 tops 22 23% of all offensive possessions so what's happening on the majority of them what does that look like now there's a way to go from the first part of that is your early offense actions. So the idea is we're looking to run every player, at least Russell Westbrook is every, he will take every single opportunity he has to run. Well, there are some of those are going to be probes, right? Where he pushed it up court and he's looking for, it, or just the, the pace of the team by virtue of having Russ is going to look to push the pace, but it's not there. That transition opportunity for an easy fast break, a dunk or whatever, someone filling the lane, it's not going to be there. Well, what now? What do you do at that point? And so in terms of the synergy between them at this point, we're going to have this conversation many times throughout the the season is that three-man game and what does that look like? But this point of it to me is their transition game and just how they look. I think they're going to be a ton of fun. But then the first part of the process of getting better is how does that flow into your early offense sets when you tried to run, but you didn't quite get there, right? And so I don't necessarily agree, and I I don't think you were making this point in the first place that this is a Russell Westbrook team now, right? But I do think that there are going to be a lot of Russell Westbrook possessions and how that flows into our half court offense and what we do from there when it doesn't result in a transition bucket. And I think it will often, but it won't all the time. I think that those are the first things that I'm looking for in terms of implementation. What, what are you looking for in that three man game early on? So when I think of three man game action, I'm still thinking more like half court stuff, right? Like I definitely do think that the early offense principles are going to be, There's going to be some new stuff, right? But I also don't think that Vogel's going to change. There are certain things that most every team in the NBA does, like in terms of wanting early offense stuff to to develop. Someone's still going to be trying to fill deep, deep corner, right? Like maybe on both sides of the court, there's still going to be a big who's going to run middle lane. I, th- I think some of the stuff that we talked about in 
in one of the last pods is is that we may very well be seeing though like less delay stuff where it's the big man trailing and the ball plays through him right and so so that stuff will be different and and i i have a feeling it's my inkling like that that's what vogel was really referencing that hey we're not gonna play as much through bigs at the top of the key anymore as as an early offense trigger to, That's to, a Marcus Gasol type of yeah. Set. Well, and because Marcus Gasol was the starter, that stuff even played into like what we had Trez doing, right? And so, like, oh, delay, kick to Trez, okay, dribble handoff, and then right? right, like there was a lot so, of stuff like that. This is the style of play stuff that I. I poorly led us down we ended up talking about ad at the five in the last pod more than i intended to this is more along the lines of like in terms of foot speed strictly foot speed like mark's one of the slowest centers in the league and so going from that to this is why i think ad at the five is significant with respect to our transition game is those are polar opposites uh in terms of rim running capabilities like getting up the floor and so my my question for you I want to go down this whole fast break principles idea more is we've talked a lot about how the Lakers were a fast breaking team two years ago. I would argue that the nature of LeBron's fast breaks are different than Russ's in that LeBron is more of an outlet guy, although Russ is very good in this respect as well and filling the lane. And he's not as LeBron doesn't do it as often. He's great at it when he does it. But the main difference is that Russ does it all the time. But Russ will push it up court via the dribble yes. more often. Yes. And that's what I wanted to ask you about is that how does that change a fast break? Like, you see what I'm saying with the difference in styles between totally. LeBron because and Russ? And like, how does that affect this team? It's funny. LeBron probably loved Lonzo for this exact reason, right? Sure. Because Lonzo was also a throw ahead player. And LeBron is a huge throw ahead guy. He loves to get the ball up court via the pass. And he loves to push himself off of the second pass, right? And so LeBron loves to fill the lane. We think of him (laughs) as like a point guard, but really on the fast break, he wants to be a finisher. He doesn't want to be the passer, right? And Russ is actually loves to be the passer, on the fast break. And so to be the passer, you often push. And it you made a point about Magic Johnson in a recent pod. And you weren't necessarily comparing Russ to Magic, but they do have a similar push Rebound frequency. And run. Yeah, Rebound like, and run. there is a push frequency and there is a push style, right? Now, yeah. Yeah. And Russ and Magic sort of occupy that same sphere. In terms yeah, stylistically, of stylistically, they, right? How, how they how they go about a fast break is similar. Yes, they want to get the ball and they want to push via the dribble and then they want to engage the defense. Yes, and if you don't engage, they're going to keep going all the way to the basket and they're going to finish. And even if you do engage, if you engage late, guess what? You might be eating the basketball because they will go up on you, and then. Once you are in, once they do engage you, though, that's when the passes come and the passes can come to any player filling any lane, whether it's side lane, middle lane trail. Right. And the idea then of what a rust led fast break B 
becomes in terms of initiating early offense. That's where things are going to be much different with Russ in the middle of the frame versus LeBron. So let me ask you this then. What did the other guys need to be doing on a Russell Westbrook-led fast break stylistically, right? That that grab it and go, push ahead, advance via the dribble until someone stops you. What do the other guys need to be doing? It, or is it any different than a LeBron-led fast break, right? Like, what or what are the what are the? That's the reason I ask that is Vogel's comment about different early action or early offense actions. I think you hit it the nail on the head with delays because Mark would be trailing the play at the end of a fast break more often than not because he doesn't have that ton of foot speed. So you're not going to have that guy in that position in the first place. I haven't given it enough thought. Like, does this mean more pistol action? Probably because you can get into early ball screens, but we can get into the weeds more on like what those look like, but I mean more from like a, the talent around Russ, what do they need to be doing? I definitely think big men need to run to the front of the rim. Every possession, every possession, they need to run to the front of the rim. And I think every shooter needs to run to the arc basically with the, with the rim runs. Like what is the value of, even if they don't get the ball, there's value in that. What does that do? The value is that those guys are a threat to score at the basket. And from the time from the first time that you're taught defense as a basketball player, it is get back to the paint. Like it doesn't matter if you have five Steph Curry's out there, your instinct is telling you go to the freaking paint and then fan out. Right. And so when there's actually someone in the paint, that is instant gravity. It gets you to the point where you have to pay attention to that guy. And when you're in a scramble mode defensively or sort of trying to pick out who you're going to to defend, if there's one or two people who think I got to protect the basket, there's Dwight Howard, then you've already created an advantage for some sort of shooter who is trailing the play or who is in the corner. Right. And. That idea then of middle guy or big man, you fill the middle lane, you get to the front of the rim, shooters are filling wide, right? And then if you're an in-between guy, look for the gaps, right? Like, okay, we've got a deep three, like we've got two guys in deep, deep corner. Do I spot up or what is the defense doing? Do I cut behind? Do I trail in the wake? Of the ball, yes. like like of the ball handler. There's so many different decisions that go into what you're going to do in. That's in, what we were talking about earlier. Early yeah. offense. That's right. And we were talking about it more within the context of, of half court stuff. But the same, the same principles, principles apply, apply yeah. in in uh, transition and early offense basketball. The second thing is too, Pete, is I do think you are going to see more pistol action. I do think you are going going to see more early offense, drag screen, pick and roll. Yeah. Let's get into Agreed. something quicker, right? Yes. In order to take advantage of a scrambled defense and maybe matchups that are not the same. And all of that is meant to put pressure on the defense, put pressure on the rim in order to create a good shot and and an, and an open shot because it's not going to be a secret that the Lakers are not going to be a crazy efficient half-court offense team. If they are in the top half of the league as a half-court offense, like points per possession team, I'm going to be thrilled by that. Really? Yeah. I have like, higher expectations. That I think they're going to be good. I think if they're in between 10 and 15, that's going to be more than enough if they are the number one or number two 
transition offense team in terms of both scoring efficiency and rate right yeah it's more volume for me transition is about volume because even if you're not a great converting team by in terms of like where you rank amongst other teams if you're just getting a ton of transition plays all of those even if you're below average you're you're converting at a higher rate than yeah you know transition basketball is going to be super efficient in general right that said not at all transition possessions are made equal and you need sure. to you need to one of the things that's made LeBron, for example, one of the things that's made LeBron such a great transition player is that he is more choosy. Right. And so almost every time he decides I see an advantage, it's because he, not only does he have the physical tools to create advantage, but when he sees advantage, he knows that he's going to get something good from it. Right. Like that's almost guaranteed to be two points or a foul. Every single time. And so, but he's not pushing. He's not leveraging every opportunity because there's not advantage there, right? What Russ does is different. Russ decides, you know what? There's no advantage there, but I honestly don't care. I can make advantage, right? Or I can make an opportunity out of nothing. And it's that frequency uptick that is going to be super interesting to me to how how efficient can you be and can you get to if your frequency goes up by by that much and it's like sort of the classic old oh i'm an isolation scorer okay well as your usage goes up efficiency normally goes down right because it's hard to remain super efficient if you're you're always freaking shooting right and you're creating it for yourself. Yes. And so that transition principle stuff is is super interesting to me. But from the half court perspective, right? And uh-huh. I think this is going to be super important to Vogel. And you said you just right now, you said you have sort of higher expectations for this team in terms of half court offense. I think we're going to get some major hints at what this team wants to be offensively, not from what they want to do in transition, but oh, this is great. But how they mm-hmm. play half-court offense. And preseason is going to tell us what Vogel values in terms of half-court offense with this group of players. What are you looking for this preseason when it comes to half-court offense stuff? So this is... This is a change, and this is part of one of the many branches off of the 80 at the 5 tree, why I do think that it's important. I think we're going to be a five-out team more than ever, especially if AD's starting at the five. And if you think about, like, here's the thing. When we acquired Russ, we committed to, if we wanted to get the best out of it, we committed to a certain style of play. This is the point that I've been, uh, that I haven't been able to quite find the words to wrangle in and articulate, is that, like, trading for Russ, you have to optimize that to get the best version of this team. And that looks differently than than previous teams. So in half-court offense, what does that look like? That's maximizing spacing. And with AD, if you're in a five-out set, part of what I'm so intrigued about with this team is we've got a, a lot of guys who can handle the ball. And in five-outs, if you've got Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis on the floor, and what five-out, if, if, if you're not familiar, five-out means that we would start possessions with everybody beyond the three-point line if Anthony Davis starts at the five. 
And that's a lot of drive and kick basketball. You're attacking closeouts, right? That's what LeBron and Russ in particular are going to create is there. That's one-on-one basketball. And it means that the help defenders are pulled out more toward the perimeter. So they've got a longer distance to cover, to rotate over when Russ attacks the basket, when LeBron attacks the basket. And that means it's more difficult to cover the three-point shooters, the guys behind the line at that point. But against higher-end defenses, they're going to make that first rotation. They're probably going to make the second one. But what determines how well you do when you attack the closeout, a lot of times is like, can this guy dribble, right? Can he make the move against this closeout that is forcing him left and he's got to be able to rack left, but the the he's got to snake it, right? Because the actual driving lane to the basket is, you know, and, and so like ball handling, within a five-out offense is something that is really at a premium. And so that combination is why I I think that we're going to go five out a lot. And I think that that is the way to kind of maximize. And it's not like, I feel like when you ask that question, it's like, is there a three-man game where like Russ is setting a down screen for AD in the corner and LeBron's triggering the play at the top of the key or on the elbow? And that, that will happen. That will be part of what we do. But I think the biggest part is like giving these fantastic one-on-one players the space to go one-on-one and create shots for everybody else. So that's what I'm looking for is how often do we go five out? That's super interesting because I'm looking for that too. I am just not as, I don't want to say confident. Um, and I don't want to use I'm, the word speaking it into yeah. existence. I, like I, I have, a, uh, I have very strong opinions on the most optimized version of this team. And, th- and that's what it looks like. So the reason why I may be a little bit more skeptical, right, is because that would be a pretty big divergence from how Vogel has played under LeBron yeah. with LeBron and AD. And what that's what I've been trying to say. We're like, I really think we're doing this. Fingers crossed. Well, so so here's the thing, though, is that even if AD plays the five more, even if he starts at the five, mm-hmm. posting him is still. Valid offense to Frank Vogel. Posting LeBron Absolutely. is still valid offense for Frank Vogel. And and I don't see, personally, I don't see him getting so far away from that that it is, that it is two, three, four levels down in the pecking order in terms of what he considers to be a priority offensively. Now, that, because... I think that he's going to say, you know who else we could post? We could post up Russell Westbrook. Like, yeah. right? And I think LeBron? that for me, at least, this is how I see Vogel's mind working. And maybe I'm totally wrong with this. And we'll see. But Vogel is a I value the paint coach, mm-hmm. right? Yes. He, Mike mentioned it the last pod from paint to great. And while yes. a lot of that is driving kick based, a lot of that is also, yeah, you know what? I'm going to throw the ball to my super big person or who has physical advantage person. I'm going to throw the ball to him. He's going to catch the ball at hopefully 10 feet or in, hopefully eight feet or in. And he's going to basically threaten the restricted area. With the ball in his hands off of an entry pass rather than having to dribble to get there, right? And when he does that, he's either going to score or he's going to get fouled or he's going to draw help and then the ball is going to spray out, right? And Mm -hmm. 
That's been the basis of the Lakers offense under Frank Vogel for two seasons. And so while I do envision the geometry of the court changing because of Russell Westbrook's acquisition, I also see Vogel trying to figure out ways, well, how can we incorporate Russ into the things we've already been doing while Anthony Davis is playing center? Right. And that will mean more five out stuff. It will mean because Vogel's also played a bunch of five out stuff. He's done that late in games with LeBron handling the ball and Anthony Davis playing center spacing to to the corner. So I'm not saying they're not going to do that at all either. I just think there's going to be more of a blend and it may not be full tilt, even though I'm with you. I see that as being a super effective way of optimizing Russ as well as optimizing LeBron and AD because superstars thrive in space. Absolutely. And that's why I think that it will be the primary thing. I, not that it will be. I don't know. I don't know yes. what we're going to do. But I suspect if AD plays the five, I suspect that our five outlooks will be the main thing that we do. It doesn't mean we abandon the post-ups and things like that. But the reason why is is that that is how you accomplish attacking the paint with this particular team. Can I say, too, that this is where you know how in the last pod we went way down the rabbit hole with AD at the five and we started to talk about the potential of having different starting lineups. Mm-hmm. I could envision there being more tailored game plans offensively based off of the type of team you're playing and what you want to do with AD, right? So mm-hmm. let's say AD starts every game. doesn't matter if it's Joel, Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic out there or if it's Rudy Gobert or some other sort of small ball five that, that's going to start, right? I think that if AD is playing the five, a point that score sort of skews towards your perspective is that, Hey man, why tell AD to go post up against some 280 pound dude? Who's just going to freaking forearm shiver him in the back, right? 25 times, times a game. Why not space him? That's right. right? And then if they decide, Oh, well, you know what? We, we really can't play this way against the Lakers. We don't want our big guy spaced all of the way out. Why don't we put a smaller or quicker dude on on AD and maybe start to switch it up some? That's when you go, okay, you want to do that? All right, AD, we're going to throw you in the post more or we're going to run more pick and roll and make that smaller dude hedge on Russell Westbrook or playing a drop against Russell Westbrook. And there's so many sort of cat and mouse chess game type type things that 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 can come into play. It's mismatch hunting, right? It's that idea that somewhere on the court between LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, there's going to be a guy having to guard one of those three guys that doesn't really have that much business guarding him or we'll have difficulty just and that doesn't mean even that that guy is a bad defender it's just that Anthony Davis is a matchup problem right Russell Westbrook is a matchup problem LeBron James same thing and so my argument for going five out is that is what creates that maximal space for a one-on-one type of matchup where this guy can't guard Russell yeah they can't he can't guard LeBron can't guard AD and Along with your point about, yeah, you don't want that 280-pound guy with his forearm in the middle of AD's back. I'm not saying we're going to go away from post-ups completely, but if AD is starting at the five, this five-out type of spacing creates monster problems for defense. And it's so simple. I've been thinking all summer, like, how does it work? And on the post-ups, that's going to have to be part—like, that's going to be a trickier and more long-term, like— 
where, what does Russ do while Anthony Davis is posting up, right? That's why I think that we'll see a reduction in those post-ups in part two is because the defense has an obvious place to help off of now in ways that was not the case in the past. And so there are ways usually involving having Russ set the screen yeah. that you can kind of mitigate having a below average three-point shooter and make it not as bad. He does this really cool thing where he teams will you know send help off of him and he will start cutting to the basket uh as he's attacking the closeout right like he gets a half step head start so there are like things that you can do but in terms of like what is the best most optimal what is the biggest problem that you pose for the defense to me like us going five out in this preseason would tell me a ton about the plans of of this team I know we got off base didn't really preview the preseason in in this but I think five outs a big story no I'm going to close the loop here and I'm going to put it all together because I think the preseason is also going to tell us then how Frank Vogel looks at advantage within the offense and if we're previewing the preseason that's a thing that I think we should be looking for because Frank Vogel has typically said the way for me to gain advantage offensively and we talked about this over the course of us doing the pod for several years and since Vogel came on as head coach he has sort of ran this like 90 style offense, right? Which was yeah. really like, give the ball to your best player, let him draw attention, and then he'll either score or he'll create a play for a teammate, right? And the easiest and best way the Lakers have done that is through two actions. They've posted up one of their stars or they've run a pick and roll that involved their stars. And that's basically yep. been the best way. Right. What you're talking about is the same exact idea. Get the ball to your star players in the places where they could create an advantage in order to create a shot for themselves or a teammate. It's just that it's starting at a different spot on the floor and from a different configuration. But the idea is exactly the same. And so I think if we're talking about what we're looking for this preseason, for me, in terms of synthesizing and drawing the through line with our conversation, it's how does Frank Vogel best envision that advantage being created? And is it still through the post? Or is it through this sort of different idea of playing five-out ball? And I think you've argued and I think effectively for more of that and I'll be interested to see if that bridge is built between that philosophy that Vogel's had in the past yeah versus what this roster seems more geared to now particularly if AD is going to play more center yeah it's a matter of like I think that's going to happen to some degree a a turn toward more five out basketball. But the question is to what degree, because one of the most fascinating storylines is exactly what you just said to me is that Vogel's, in my opinion, Vogel's core philosophies over the years and the best version of this talent, like the optimization of this team, there are some places where they don't clash or there are some places where they don't jive together yeah. right there's some places where there's going to have to be some compromise either on Vogel's end or on, on, on the talent end there are lots of discussions to be had about all of that I can't wait to talk next time we talk is going to be after a, a Lakers preseason game we'll be there to cover that and on the rest of the preseason here on the Laker Film Room Podcast Baines has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy tips to Magic Worthy dies on his belly Magic scores there's Magic got it Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game!
A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. Jokic Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com